Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to another great day, great episode of Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa, here with our co-host, Charles Carpenter. Hi, Charles. How are you doing? I'm great. Hello, everybody, and happy Sunday to you all. It's such a pleasure, as always, to be here with you again. Well, we missed Charles last week during Father's Day. Charles, tell, tell us, how was your Father's Day? You know, it was absolutely incredible. I, I always uh, am so appreciative. I'm not a big fan of Father's Day in and of itself as the institution. I think, well, you know, every day is, every day is Father's Day. I, I don't take a break from it. But, um, but it's really nice to, to be recognized. And my, my eldest child, my daughter who's a tween, decided to let me be right all day long. It was incredible. Wow. Everything. I was actually an intelligent, important member of the family. I, it was wonderful. So that was nice. That is amazing. Wow. Did you know? For one day, the father was right. With the daughter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You should have taken advantage and, yeah. of that. Well, again, the next day, she, she quickly back in my place and let me know where I stand in the greater scheme of things. But for that day, it was a good day. Oh, that's awesome. I, thought, I, yeah. I wish we had husband days like that. Oh, wouldn't that be great? For one wouldn't, day, that be? wouldn't that be great? For one day, you were right. I would bring up old stories. That's what I would do. Well, how about I that like one the, day on May 19th on, uh, at 10... You know, you, know how, you know how I was. At 10.30 p.m. Oh. Uh, on this one time, uh, you, you bumped into me. I didn't really like it. I dropped my sandwich. You didn't say you're sorry. I know it was 20 years ago, but uh, was I right? Yeah. But the double-edged sword is they will then bring up every other day, event, time, place, right. where you were wrong. So, yes. you know, just be careful what we wish for on that. I like to think that I, the, uh, the husband's day falls on Super Bowl Sunday. I think that that is a good husband's day. Uh, uh, so, we're, so we're avoided. Yeah, so yours is a lot less, a lot less tempting to be confrontational against. Yeah, mine was confrontational. Yours is very kind of passive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so That'd be nice. Father's Day, Father's Day was excellent. It, it was. We uh, we went to the beach, or went to a beautiful place, uh, Paradise Cove, and um, and everything worked out. You know how some days, you know, the light turns green at every st- at every street intersection. That was this day. They said the lot was full, but they waved us right in. We parked right up in the front. I walked in. I said, I'd like a table for four. It's fully expecting to wait an hour plus. I'm like, well, we can seat you in a minute if you want. Okay. Boom, sat there, perfect 
uh, little spot right there looking out over the sand. Couldn't have been better. Could not have been better. That's awesome. Did you get any of the normal gifts for Father's Day, like the cologne and the, and the tie, or did you get something else? You know, <laughs> you know the funny thing, uh, and I used to laugh at people who said this, but the greatest gift that I can get is yes. some some new socks and some new boxer brief underwear. I am like the happiest person in the world. Oh, fantastic, good. This is great. I can use this. So, so yes, my my Father's Day was my cup runneth over. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, your children got to look at you like you're nuts because you're getting socks and underwear. But little did they know that when you get to an adult age, you have a thing called good socks and bad socks, good, bad good socks. underwear and bad underwear. Yes, and, and you really should just have socks and underwear. <laughs> it's yeah, only it you really should have. They shouldn't be they shouldn't be compartmentalized into the good ones and the bad ones. And my wife does make it a point to go through and clear out the bad ones, unbeknownst to me. So anytime I get more new ones, it's good. <laughs> Rotation, we're dialed in. Well, today we are we're we're we have a great guest today. We have Dell Weston, Dell Action on Film Weston. This guy's got a gigantic career. I mean, he. Stuntman, writer, producer, director, creator of action on films. Today, this this year is his tenth year anniversary of his of his uh, program. We were so blessed to be part of the program before being uh, a lackey admission. It was really awesome. Uh, we're really looking forward to listening to him today. Uh, we're going to continue on with our conversation on a couple of films that we saw this weekend and, and what our opinions were on that show. So, Charles, you saw Maleficent, did you not? Yes, I. Yes, I did. It took me a little while to be able to masticate past the name because it's a, you know, it can be a tongue twister. Maleficent, Maleficent, but got it, finally got it, Maleficent. We went to see it, and um, I have to tell you, and I took the whole family. My wife, uh, my kids are now out for summer vacation, my, uh, my daughter and my son, and so we said, okay, let's, let's start the summer and we'll go see it. And I have to tell you, from the moment it began, I was completely and totally immersed in, in the movie, in the experience. It was such an incredible ride. Now, bearing in mind, this is definitely the type of movie that's in my wheelhouse. Again, you know, epic fantasy I love as, as a writer of fantasy myself. Um, absolutely am so willing to suspend disbelief and enter into this world, but this movie made it so easy for me to do. Loved all the characters, uh, loved... And as an actor and a writer myself, I love seeing the craft of good acting. And each character was so believable and so well thought out. It was just, it was wonderful. And the kids were on board. You know, my son is seven. My daughter is almost 12. And so it had something for every age. Kept us all entertained and um, just couldn't have been more pleased with it. Nice, nice. Now, it was, how was Angelina Jolie in this film? You know, Angelina Jolie is a very captivating presence, and I was wondering, you know, because so often she takes on these roles with this, with this gravitas that affects the human condition as it pertains to this world. So to be able to see her, you know, take on this completely fictional character of this, of this powerful fairy and bring her to life was something that was just wonderful. She... she, she committed 
and again, this harkens back to so often people will say, well, it's fantasy, it's, it's adventure, it's this and that, it isn't. You, you don't go to see those movies for the acting. I say, no, you do go to see those movies for the acting. The special effects are great, but if there is quality acting, it enriches the experience. And Angelina Jolie brought it. She was a character that was, uh, that was readily accessible, and you could empathize with her, with the ups and downs, and see why she made the decisions that she made. And it was, it was just wonderful. And uh, Elle Fanning, great captivated me the second I saw her on screen. Every every actor, every... Yeah. Let's talk about, about yeah. Ellie Fanning because, you know, I, I, we want her on the show. We're, we're a huge fan of hers. How did she do on the show, uh, on the movie? I, I, I thought she was fantastic. I, I saw the movie myself. What did you think? I thought she was, I thought she was absolutely great. She, because the thing is, when you're on screen with a heavyweight like Angelina Jolie, it would be easy for you to disappear. And she didn't. She brought this captivating magical energy that had this innocence and this buoyance, for lack of a better word, that, you know, that when she, when she walked in, she, she carried her parts of the scene so, so brilliantly. It was such a fun portrayal of this character and a really unique take without, without giving too much away. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed what she did. Um, and, and again, as I said, it's to get lost when you're, when you're dealing with a heavyweight as your as your co-star, and well, uh, I got to be honest, if, you, if people have not seen the film by now, then these spoilers are not spoilers. I mean, you're, the movie's been out for four weeks, and kids are going to bug you to heck to go see the movie the first, you know, week. So we we all kind of know that Angelina Jolie is is a sympathetic character in this film. She's not necessarily the evil one. Actually, I, I found the film to be really in in line with uh, what was that animated movie that just came out? Recently, was it Freeze? It's called Freeze. Uh, Frozen. 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 It reminded me of Frozen, yeah. where the girls weren't necessarily the bad guys. It was the it was the guys in the end who were kind of mm-hmm. the evil ones. So I, I found the same thing in Maleficent, and they they tried to really make Angelina Jolie's character very sympathetic. How do you yeah, feel about the that? Tragic hero. Yeah, and 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 they did a great job. But again, it harkens to you know, the, the craft of the writing and the story and how they created it, you could empathize with her. Oh, I see why, I see why she's doing this. You know, this is, it, the, the, the moments in the film were, were moments where you look at and as a, as a human being, you see, yeah, you know what? That would piss me off too. I, I, I get that. I see, I see why it is that she's doing what she's doing. And, um, and again, beautifully told, the story arcs were, were well thought out, and it just was, it was a fun ride. The special effects were brilliant, again, brought you in. We didn't go see the 3D version because, well, basically because my wife said we're not going to go see the 3D version, so, so we, <laughs> we, we didn't go see it. But uh, having said that, I think it would be a great movie to see in 3D, um, but even just the, the 2D version was, in, was incredible. Nice. Well, you heard it from Charles here first. The movie to see this weekend and last weekend is Maleficent. Uh, I'm a gigantic fan of Edge of Tomorrow, and I like Maleficent as well. I, I really like the film. So that's going to be uh, Charles's pick of the week. Now, let's talk about some other films. <laughs> a, little, a little late on the uptake, but I, I get there when I can get there. You know what? You got kids. I think people who have kids understand that uh, you can't see movies. Yeah. We do the best we can. 
But but uh, let's get into some movie news. I I, I love movies. I, I love news in film. Of course, it always changes. It always fluctuates and what have you. But the new news coming out right now, and it's kind of being underground or pushed down right now. But Mark Ruffalo mentioned that they're looking at another Hulk movie. Now, another Hulk movie most likely would be Planet Hulk. Now, if mm-hmm. you're following the Avengers storyline right now, what's going to happen in the second storyline is we're going to have Quicksilver, we're going to have um, we're going to have the Scarlet Witch, we're going to have Thor, Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man. We're most likely going to introduce the, the Falcon in it, um, Hawkeye, Black Widow, and then we're probably going to have two other characters that are going to lead in the Black Panther, Doctor Strange, and what have you. Now, I believe, this is just my belief, I believe at the end of the Avengers film, it's going to be very much like Planet Hulk, where Hulk goes out of control during Avengers 2, wins the war, but destroys the entire city. So the next thing you know, they stick him in a, in a ship, and they send him out in outer space. He goes into a Rosenberg Bridge, and he finds Planet Hulk. During Planet Hulk, he gets married, has a child. Uh, from that on, he, he starts a war, or he finishes off a war. And there's a whole story going on there. There's def- definitely different storylines that tell different stories. But the most typical story is that he has a wife, he has a child, a child and a wife from an inflate, so he frees them. He's launched with a logic chip inside of his chest or head or neck, whatever they want to choose. And he understands the languages. He also has a different intellect. So I'm looking for Mark Ruffalo just mentioned this the other day when the past year he's been shooting down a lot of different commentary about the Hulk uh, being made into a film. I think it's because of the, um, you know, the, uh, the previous films that didn't quite make it up to snuff. I mean, both films, uh, one by Ang Lee and one by, I don't know, Joe Johnson, I forgot what his name was. Um, yeah. Both films made the same amount of money. So, Charles, what do you think about a Hulk movie? Are you looking forward to it? Or are you kind of burnt out on the Hulk? Or do you want to see a different take like on Mark Ruffalo's perspective? Well, you know, it's interesting that you say this because just the other day, uh, a good friend of mine and I were out to dinner uh, with our families and we were chatting and we said, you know, the, the Avengers movies is a pretty good litmus test to see what kind of person you are based on which character you identify with the most. And the kids were going through it. Uh, like Chrissy, uh, my wife Chrissy and our daughter, uh, they both love Thor uh, for obvious reasons. You know, the handsome, you know, the blonde gods yes. with chisel chests get, uh, get their attention. Um, but he was, he was honorable and he was, uh, he was chivalrous and they really liked that. Uh, my son, Logan, loved Captain America. That was his guy. I see it, good versus evil, got it, go get him, Cap. Um, I personally identified most with the Hulk. I thought it was such an interesting character, such a dichotomy of images, these, these, two, these two dueling personalities fighting for control within this one entity. I think that the Hulk is an incredibly interesting character, and he's really, it's really a complex struggle when you get down to it. Now, Hulk smash, you destroy stuff, you, you know, you all, the, all that stereotypical stuff, notwithstanding, I think that the, the Hulk and the Banner character are really, really interesting. And I would like, I would like to see another Hulk, but I would, I would like to really, really delve into, um, you know, that fight between him, how he's trying to make sense of, of his world. Uh, I think that the other two, the other two Hulk movies, I, I thought that the Ang Lee movie was a bit convoluted. I, to be honest with you, I didn't, 
care enough about the character in that version to really want to follow it. I just I wanted to see Big Green Hulk smash. Um, Edward Norton's right. take, I thought, was more true to the comic book, um, you know, and, and what they wanted to do. Uh, I thought that they had a good nemesis with the abomination, and I thought, okay, good, this gives you something now to, to play against this, the good and evil archetypes there. Um, but I thought that Mark Ruffalo brought a dimension of humanity and, and humor to the Banner character that, you know, the other two didn't. Um, so I would like to see it. What was your take? How did you like uh, the, three, the, the three Hulks and the, the actors that portrayed them? Well, I'm a gigantic fan of Ang Lee. I, I, I love him to death. And when I saw the Hulk, it, to me, he brought a different perspective of the Hulk. I, really, I knew there would be different incarnations, just like any good book would be. There would be different levels of this film, especially if it was successful. You know, he mentioned earlier that he made a couple mistakes with the Hulk. He, actually, quite recently, within the past 12 months, he said that he should have had more fun with the Hulk. He didn't have as much fun with it. And I think that, that shows that, that he kind yeah, of took yeah. it a little too seriously. And, you know, it's Ang Lee, so it's, he's a genius. So, it, you know, he just took it a little too seriously, so it came off that way. I liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I liked it. I liked where it was going. I was kind of hoping for a second one so he gets a second shot, but that kind of went, you know, out the window. Uh, the second sure. film had a myriad of problems. It had a problem up to yin-yang, and mostly because of, of the main actor. And Edward Norton, what, what, he, what he's notorious for doing, and this is not a body slam or a talk back, what, what he's notorious for doing is going on the films and then rewriting the script and getting, getting a writer's credit. So that's, that's one of the reasons why he was released from the Hulk film, was that he was not seen as a team player. So he fought them the entire way of production, and it didn't really link with the other Marvel movies, which is why he was released in the end, and I believe which is why Edgar Wright was released from Ant-Man, because they really want to make, a congru- they really want to make things congruent. And right. Edward Norton was known as not a team player. You can say that in different ways, and... You can say it any way you want. It'd be insulting if you desire that, but I don't think it's really necessary. Just the way they saw it. So I think the third film will really tie into the Marvel universe, and I'm really looking forward to that, especially with Mark Ruffalo. I mean, you yeah. can say anything you want about the Avengers film, and it definitely has its flaws, the same way Dark Knight Rises did. But when Hulk turns into Hulk and smashes that that space whale, there is nothing more exciting than. Or when the Hulk catches Iron Man when he falls out of the sky. When I saw that in the preview. I mean, I had a nerdcore brain freeze. It was incredible. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's the most amazing I, thing I've ever seen. I did too. I loved it. I loved it. The you know the uh, the 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 puny god line where he takes Loki and he slams him around. Puny god. Brilliant. Nerd. Yeah. Nerdgasms. It was yeah. it was great. Nerd. <laughs> puny god. Yeah, I I love that to death. So, you know, we're looking at a lot of different Marvel films that are being filmed. We can talk about DC all we want. I mean, they're, right now they're within flux. So, But um, Mar- Marvel also is announced Doctor Strange, that they have a new writer on board as well as a, uh, a director that they're looking at. So Doctor Strange is on its way. The one film that is, is kind of irritating to me that hasn't been made, that I want to be made super, super bad, is The Black Panther. Mm. I don't understand... Personally, yeah. You know, I, I think when they got the Captain America character and they put Captain America and Black Panther side by side, I think they saw a lot of characteristics that were similar and they didn't want yeah. to add them because it would have maybe clashed personalities because, you know, um, 
the Black Panthers is a very level-headed king, and Captain America is a very level-headed commander. And when they're put together, they kind of fight two different sides of the Avengers, where Black Panther is more like, you know, should we finish this war before we start, before we start another? And Captain America is usually the commander saying, uh, you know, l- let's focus everybody. But I really want to see a Black Panther film. There are several actors that I want in that role. Now, now a lot of those actors are a little too old. And you see one actor that's going to be in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy who was in, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, gee, Gladiator. Thank uh, you. I can't even think of the name. But anyways, you know, there were several characters that were, they looked the part. They looked the African imperial part of playing sure. um, Black Panther. And, and if you look at the movie of Captain America, his, his shield is made, at, made out of two different elements. It's made out of vibranium, and it's made out of adamantium. Now, vibranium comes from hmm, where Black Panther's from. So it's, it's very, very... Do you know anything about the Black Panther, by the way? Uh, yeah, I do. I... I... I, I, well, you know, and this is a question that I wanted to ask you. I go very deep into the Marvel Universe, and uh, in talking about the movies that you want to see, uh, I wanted to ask you, there's a big slate of movies coming out uh, that the DC world is going to be putting out as well. Obviously, Superman versus Batman, uh, one among them. Yes. Um, my question to you is, which, uh, which world, Marvel or DC, do you think is doing a better job of capturing the, the essence of what the comic books were about? And uh, do, you see, do you see DC kind of catching up title for title with the uh, success that Marvel has had in, in what they've done? No. I don't, I don't see that happening. I, what I see is, is a launching program for both, for both systems. I see... Marvel taken off and already established a universe, especially with Guardians of the Galaxy being, being done. They already have an established universe. And I made the argument last week that the best thing that ever happened to Marvel was 20th Century Fox and several other studios owning properties. And that way Marvel had to dig deep inside their treasure trove to find different characters, Guardians of the Galaxy. You would never have seen a Guardians of the Galaxy film. You would never have seen certain yeah. films being made. If they had X-Men, Spider-Man, if they had these films, they would never delve deep. When you look at right. DC, they sat on the property so long, and it's so obvious that they're going for a big-picture thing. I've never known Zack Snyder to be a big-picture person. I've never, known, I've never seen any of his films to do that. I, I, I am a great admirer of, of the first 300. I am a great admirer of... I do like Man of Steel, even though it's a little illogical. I, I, do, I don't like Sucker Punch at all. I think it's one of the dumbest films ever made. I think Howard the Duck is a, is a smarter film than that film. Um, but, you know, he's, he's on and off, but I'm pretty sure these, these you know, Batman versus Superman movies are going to be pretty good, pretty good. The problem is right now is it's getting so, so packed full of characters and so convoluted. I'm really hoping he can bring it together. Because this isn't even the sequel to Superman. Because at Comic-Con, they announced the true sequel to Superman, Man of Steel, coming out in like 2016, 2018. So they've announced that this is not the sequel, that this is obviously a play to, to create the Justice League universe. The problem I have with that is that it becomes, now you're picking up the pieces from another universe. Right. I, I, right. I, I, you know, unless they have something planned in advance, it seems like they're announcing Cyborg, they're announcing all these characters from day to day as if they're pulling it out of a hat. And they're trying to create this team, and I'm like, yeah, you probably should have started off a little slower. You, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to look, but I saw the pictures from Superman vs. Batman. I, I'm in love with it. So I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm not going to be one of those people anymore that looks like at the Empire, you know, cover and hates Quicksilver and, and then bashes X-Men. Because when I saw the X-Men and I saw Quicksilver, he was amazing. So I'm not going to be that person anymore to make, especially after Christopher Nolan and, and Heath Ledger. I mean, I talked, oh, he's going to be horrible. What is he known for? And then you see the movie and you can't identify anybody else. So I'm not going to be that person anymore. But from what I see right now, the movie looks good. But I am a little worried. Less worried than I am for Star Wars. I mean, if you look at what happened in Star Wars right now, Han Solo uh, or Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford, he bashed his ankle. And yeah. it's even worse than they thought it was. So he's going to be out of production for eight weeks. So I'm, I'm less worried about the Star Wars production than I am about the DC Universe productions. So that's where I'm coming from. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'm, how do you, I'm how much do you, along... How do you feel about the DC? I'm, you know, I'm, much, I'm much along the same lines. Again, I think that uh, Marvel, in terms of cohesion, has done a really good job in bringing the storylines together. Because ultimately, when, when you're a... When you're a, a dork like I am, for lack of a better word, and I say dork, I wear that mantle proudly. Okay, I love my comic books. I love my collection. Love reading them. I think that some of the some of the most brilliant uh, writers out there write in comic books, and they're able to uh, again suspend our disbelief so we can enter into these worlds. When when you follow comics, then you know you understand storylines and you understand uh, you know how everything works together and how you know this character is interacting with that character and crossover series and that sort of thing. But I think for the lay person, for the average moviegoer, you want more of a sense of cohesion. And I think that Marvel has done a very good job of making sure that all of their films fit within the scope of a universe so that if you are just a lay person and you don't read the comics, you can kind of understand, okay, here's point A, this is point B, I get it. Okay, all these Avengers, all these movies kind of fit together and they refer to the other. So, and there's a familiarity with that, you know, where you can say, oh, yeah, oh, they referenced this. I saw that. Yeah, oh, hey, that makes sense to me. And um, DC, I'm just, I don't, I don't go deep into the DC universe, so I'm not, I'm not going to, to badmouth them per se, but I just think that, um, you know, because you have the two iconic characters Superman and Batman that are the tentpoles of the DC universe that everything else kind of revolves around, you know, you're, you're going to put all your, your power into that. And then when you realize, Oh wow, for us to start to now pull the pieces of, of, of everything together and weave this tapestry with everything else, we're going to have to backtrack and we're going to have to do some other things to make it work. I mean, you know, the, the reboot of the first man with Brandon Routh, you know, was just you know, swing and a miss, and now, uh, now here we come again, and uh, you know, and so I think that um, I think that it's going to be, it's going to. Marvel has just kind of done the better job in creating yeah. a space where we can come and be entertained and watched. Um, there, there is a character I would love to see DC bring out, though, and that is the character Lobo. I would love for them to do something with that. You know, they've been. You've been talking to him for about a long time. Where they wanted for Lobo was uh, The Rock. Uh, yeah. They wanted Lobo to actually enter the last Avengers film. And they're thinking, uh, Josh Trank is thinking about having Lobo as being the bad guy in the next Fantastic Four reboot. So it's funny that you just said that. Really? Well, yeah, I would, you know, I, I think Lobo is a great character. And I would love, I would love yeah. to see that character. Brought to life. He's, he's, a, he's a space. He's a space punisher. Is what that could, where that sucker is. 
What's, yeah. interesting, what's interesting about films, what's interesting about these characters is a lot of people don't realize or, or see the history that's behind a lot of these characters. Um, Wonder Woman, as a character during World War II, was often painted on the sides of B-52 bombers. A Superman was first created as the first Jewish superhero. This, this is just comic book history. This is not, I'm not making this stuff up. You can Google this stuff. These people are iconic characters created a long time ago to land the, 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 the test of time. Very different than Marvel. Marvel. Marvel came in second and started picking up some, some things in there, and, and they really perfected almost the... the sure. It kind of created almost like a pocket of a world, and then they started expanding that pocket along the way. So because you have a Silver Age, a, a Bronze Age, and a Golden Age for, for all these comic books. Like at the beginning of Superman, he can leap top building with a single bound. Now he can fly. But that's called the Silver Age of comic books. That's almost considered a different universe. So a lot of people forget the history of these characters, how precious they are. Opposed to X-Men, opposed to Spider-Man, these are fairly new characters. These characters are roughly 50 years old. When you look at Superman, Superman's you know, at least 20 to 30 years older than that, and children grew up begging Superman at their birthday parties and all these things. So they're very coveted characters. What Brian Singer tried to do with Superman Returns is he tried to almost do an homage to a film instead of a recreation of a film and, and carry it forward. So it, it failed on that mark. What it did good on that mark was it, it kept Superman in the conscious mind of human beings. Thankfully, now it's going down the road where they're making better and bigger films and they're realizing that Superman needs to be more relevant to the world. So yeah. for this movie, Batman vs. Superman, you're going to see that the reason why he's irrelevant was because he creates so much destruction in the first film. So at least the destruction in the first film is going to pay off. <laughs> anyway, that was a great conversation on, on Marvel films. I love talking about that stuff. And, you know, if, if you just heard a little slide, I'll go back to the news that uh, if you didn't read it before, um, Han Solo, played, played by Harrison Ford, he, he hurt his ankle really, really bad. Now, one of the things people were saying was he broke his hip uh, because he's older now. But he's a pivotal part of this film. So he's going to be out for at least four to six weeks. That doesn't mean anything really. He'll come back and he'll reshoot that film. But that was a, that was a, that was a little bit of a scary part because we all wanted Han Solo in that and we really wanted to be a, a prevalent and relevant part of the film. So are you looking forward to Han Solo and, and the new Star Wars films, uh, Charles? Oh, absolutely. I, um, you know, if, if there used to be this, well, are you Star Wars or are you Star Trek? And, uh, right. you know, I... I am far more a Star Wars universe person than I am Star Trek. Having said that, uh, the next generation did bring me back around into the into the fold of the Federation. So, and and the reboots now with J.J. Abrams is, is just incredible. Uh, we could spend a whole show talking about them. So I do love them. But I, I say that to say I'm very excited about Star Wars. And I mean, come on, Han Solo. You know, when, when we were little kids running around with stick guns in the, in the backyard pretending that we were characters, right. everybody launched to be Han Solo. Okay, well, I'm Han Solo. Well, yep. You know, it was like Luke Skywalker was great, but, you know, whoever, whoever called Han Solo first, he was the, he was the stud of the, of the day. So, you know, yep. uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Luke was, I'm glad Luke was considered the whiner of the group. Yeah, and you know, Luke, well, Luke can move things with his with his mind, and he has force lightning, and he has the lightsaber. Yeah, but he's not Han Solo. <laughs> Everybody, he's, he's, not Han Han Solo. Solo. <laughs> he's not Han Solo. He's not. 
keep your sword. You can keep your lightsaber. I, I, I want to be Han Solo. Ah, oh, man, fine. You're Han Solo. All right. So, this is, uh, we hit the 30-minute mark here, and, and we have a fantastic guest today, Del Aoff Weston, Del Weston. Uh, Aoff, going for action on films, Del Weston. Uh, I had the great pleasure of meeting him last year when he showed our film, his action on uh, the Lackey movie, uh, starring Sean Piccinino, directed by Sean Piccinino and Jason Sanders, written by Sean Piccinino and, and, uh, and uh, me. And, uh, and a sort, and, a sort and, of great... Let us, let us make sure that we, uh, it was written by Sean and my fantastic co-host, and they did a brilliant job. The film is incredible. If you guys haven't seen it, do yourselves a favor. Check it out. It's it's a lot of fun, and it's it's well it's well done. Thank you, John. So it started uh, Sean Sean Piccinino, Ver, the great Vernon Wells, uh, Nick Ballard, uh, Ricky Bird, D.T. Carney, Jeremy Gun, uh, Jeremy Dunn, uh, Guy Grundy, uh, Mark Majid, Ed, Alexander Holtzman, uh, Lauren Parkinson, who was always fantastic, David Pyers. It, it just had really great people. Orlando McGuire. And fantastic people in this film. And, and like I said, it was uh, directed by Sean P. Piccinino and, and co-directed by Jason Sanders, two pickup shots, and written by Sean Piccinino oh, himself. And, and we, before, and we before had a great we further, time. Before we go further, let me just wish Sean the happiest of birthdays because his birthday just passed. So, so Sean, if you're listening, happy birthday, you steadily director slash actor slash stuntman, you mwah. So that's, that's my <laughs> birthday wish for Sean. Sean, I, I think for your birthday, you just got the creepiest Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> that was zombie Marilyn Monroe, I think. Hey, he, <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. <laughs> okay, we're gonna take we're gonna take a short little break here. We're gonna we're gonna welcome our, our great guest, Del. Please uh, listen to some music and, and let's uh, get going. Well, we're welcoming our guest here, Dell Action on Films Weston, stuntman, writer, producer, director, creator of Action on Films. This year, it's tenth year anniversary. He actually worked on a documentary called Behind the Gates with Joe Pesci and Oscar De La Hoya. Stunts and Rocky Five. I can't wait to talk about that. He also show hosts a weekly TV series. Del Weston on film, often seen on Time Warner Cable. Hello, Mr. Weston. How are you doing today? That's a lot of applause. I love that. I, love <laughs> I know. This is generate a lot of action. I love that. How are you guys doing? How are you? Fantastic. How are you, sir? Uh, everything is great. No complaints. 
no complaints. And great discussion about the Marvel and DC universe. It's great stuff, guys. Oh, we we love the DC universe. We love the Marvel universe. We like the way it pushes along. Well, we want to talk to you about about your career. You, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your 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 IMDb page, and I've got the the bio, everything in front of me. It, it's it's insane. I mean, stuntman, writer, producer, director. Uh, first time I met you was for actions on film. Um, so how, how do we how do we start? How do we begin with this whole thing? How, how did you start off Maybe. with this business? Um, you know, it was uh, was an accident. Uh, a guy owed me some money, and um, he didn't want to pay me. And there was a film shooting called The Masters with this new guy named Chet Lee, who was just making his first uh, American martial arts film. And he goes, "Listen, I can't pay you, but I can get you a part in the movie." So he sent me down to audition for them as a as atmosphere, which is you know background people. And they had me yeah. fight one of the greatest stuntmen in history, Chinese uh, martial artist. To, to, to audition, and I ended up smacking him a couple of times because he couldn't get out of the way fast enough. And so uh, the producer Chow, Roberta Chow, uh, mother-in-law, came over and said, "Put him in the movie as one of the masters." So I ended up with about 30, 35 days on a sh- on a shoot with uh, Jed Lee, and uh, it was great. Wow. It's fantastic. I, I love the master. I, th- that was based on the school called the Academy of Kung Fu, and the one guy, <laughs> right? And then one yeah. guy comes over to, to uh, shut down your master, and then Jet Li comes in to fight with him because he's the Chinese immigrant that comes to America, right? That's right. That's right. That was an amazing I, I love that movie. You know, there's a couple of guys in that film uh, named Stephanus Mitsotakis, and uh, the Jacoby brothers were in there with me as well. But the funny thing that people don't know is that Jet Li made half the film with a broken arm. So if you watch it from the beginning to the end, you'll see toward the middle he puts on a jacket and covers his right arm all the way up to the fingers. That's because he was wearing a cast throughout the whole film. Really? Yeah, he broke his arm. Uh, how did he break his stunt. arm? Well, they put him on top of a really? car, and he was the car was supposed to speed up and stop, and then he would fall into a bunch of boxes. But the stunt guy screwed up, and we're all standing there, and you see the car pass by. You see him go flying, and then you hear this big dung, and he missed the boxes but hit a, a telephone pole cracked his arm right in half. And he was so, uh, I don't want to say egotistical, he was very driven, and he decided to shoot the rest of the film with a cast on. One reason why we get an extra five or ten days on set. What, uh, what was it like working with him? What kind of person is he? I've heard he's a very humble, uh, very kind, conscientious person, but what was your experience working with, uh, with Jet Li? Well, no one knew who he was. That was the main thing. I mean, at that time, it was way before any of his big films and definitely before Lethal Weapon. And so they were all kind of, um, there was the Chinese crew and then there was the American crew. And believe it or not, most of the Chinese crew was making fun of the American crew. They really thought very little of our skills. They really thought very little of our ability to, uh, to, to make the film. And, but it was okay. You know, it was a, it was a crossover film for him. So there was a little bit of a communication uh, vibe, and it's but it went from there, you know. So I didn't, we the first time I saw him, he he did a backflip and kicked me in the face, but they missed wow. it thir- thirteen oh, wow. times. So on the fourteenth time, they finally got it, but by that time, my lips were ripped up. You know, I put my tooth through my lip the whole bit, and I was bleeding <laughs> going further because they couldn't stop the blood. So that's what that was my this first a- experience with Jet Li. 
this was at the beginning of his American career, so I, I can understand why. Very beginning, very beginning. Yeah, I, he was very bright-eyed and looked, I mean, extremely young. So I can, I can, I can see why the, you know, when, when they came over to America, they had a, a certain attitude because they worked so fast in, in Hong Kong. Uh, when they see well, the way Americans work, we work were, Yeah, you mentioned that Ed Norton was likes to rewrite scripts. They were literally writing the script during the shooting of the movie. Oh wow! So I, I would see the, I would see the writer sitting on a box writing, and then hand, on a typewriter, and then handing it over to the to the producer. I'll never forget it. Amazing. That sounds insane. So you got that job by accident, then? Yeah, just a guy who owed me some money and said, "Hey, why don't you do this? They'll pay you enough to cover my debt." And I said, "Okay." And then when I was shooting that, I got a call from a, an old radio DJ named Fraser Smith, who said, "Hey, they're casting Rocky Five over at the Jet Center, down off of Van Nuys Boulevard." So I went down there, the and uh, there was the Jet had to be two thousand by uh, Jet Li, right? Yeah. Well, no, no, by. Uh, well, from that film I went over, but but the deal was uh, I just went over and, and there's about two thousand guys there, and I I walked right through and they and the guy said uh, who's your manager I had no manager I had no I didn't have anybody, and I saw a placard on the wall said the Gooses they go oh I'm I'm with the Gooses, and they let me right through, and I ran over to the casting director said hi I'm Del West you know I'm gonna be in your film, and she laughed for a second she said take off your shirt took off my shirt she said. Well, a couple of times I did that, and she sent me over, and, and six auditions later, I was in that film. So that was the first real wow. job, because it was the first thing I had to go out for. That's why it's weird. You know, you hear people say, I can't break into Hollywood. I disagree completely. You can break in, but, you know, where you end up, that's the big question. Do you want to be where you end up? So you know, I'm always very, very right. leery of people saying I couldn't break into Hollywood. It can be done. Yeah. Del, th- thank you very much for bringing that up because we actually have a, a Twitter question here uh, addressed to you, which is, tell me something positive that I can go through with my career. I'm young. Should I go to a teacher or should I go straight into film? What is your opinion on that? You do anything you can do. I mean, because the, 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 people think Hollywood is this gigantic community, but it really isn't. It's a very small closed off, clandestine type of a, a, a place. If they want you, they want you. If they don't, they don't. And when they don't, you've got to make your own place. And so I say do everything and meet with everybody because you're going to distinguish yourself in some way if you've got any skill or talent. And you can't do that by just saying, well, I'm only going to do this or I'm only going to do that. It's like saying I'm a world-class baker, but I only bake when I go to baking competitions. I never practice. All those small films, those student films, those, those things you and your pals put together, that's all experience. So never turn it down. Get in there and, and do the job. Get in there and do it. Very pot. That's an excellent answer. So, uh, so you did Rocky Five. There's 2,000 guys there. You got to be in the film. Uh, after that, how did that progress for it? Because that, that must have been just threw you over the moon. I mean, Rocky Five. Well, it was, I, I loved Rocky was, Five. Yeah. Rocky finds a great film, but what happened was they put me in. I had a trailer and all that other good stuff. But one day I noticed they didn't give me a per diem. And the per diem is just the cash they give you daily for whatever you want to use it for. And so I said to the, the, the cast, I said, hey, why am I not getting a per diem? She said, well, you're not really considered, you know, a feature actor. And I said, well, hang on a second. I'm doing the same thing everybody else is doing. So it went from me begging to me being this really arrogant little, little snot. But it wasn't that. I just figured I've got to get what I can get. And so the woman's name was Hope Goodwin. 
and I went towards it. Let's, I want to be considered, you know, a feature actor and get the credit. Cause I know there was a bump in pay as well, and plus the per diem and a few other things. And she said, hey, no, thank you. You're going to be used to these things. Have a nice day. Well, I kept going back daily saying, listen, I want to be, and I wasn't being really pushy. I was just, hey, is there any chance? And so finally on the last day, she said, you know what? If you come here again, we haven't shot your scene. We're going to replace you. And I figured I've already been here, you know, a month and a half. They haven't shot my scenes yet. I might as well give it a shot again. So I went in again the next day. I said, hey, uh, I thought maybe a chance you could do something for me. And, and uh, she got very angry, and I left. Well, an hour later, I heard my name being called. And uh, they were going to fire me. So they took me to the office to get my check and all did. Instead, she had me sign papers for Taft-Hartley. So they Taft-Hartley me into the union, paid the fees, and put me in this feature. In fact, they even used my real name in the films. If you're watching the montage with Tommy, Tommy Gunn versus Wild Dell Weston. So they left my name the same, which is a bump and pay again. So I always say wow. thank you to Hope Goodwin, and I tell actors, never quit. Give it a shot. Never, ever quit. That is, that that is awesome. incredible. And it's, and it's advice for actors of all ages, because I have, I have people that uh, come up to me all the time and say, you know what, Charles, I've been doing this for so long. Uh, is there a shot for me? Is it, yes, if you believe in your heart that this is where you need to be, keep going. So that's, a, that's an incredible story and, and very empowering. Yeah, you, you never quit. I don't care what it's about. What, whatever vocation you choose, if you, if you decide I'll quit after this much time, you know, a friend of mine, Stan Harrington, always says, if you say I'll quit if I don't make it in five years, you should quit now because you've already, already quit. And that's a big problem that a lot of people have, not just in this industry, but a lot of industries, you know, artists and musicians and singers and this, they, they quit. And well, then all you did was just put some time in, but you didn't really achieve anything. And that's the sad part. You've got to hang around. It's like a deli. You take a number, they're going to call your number at one point or another. That's, that's a fact. Yeah. You walk along the train track long enough, eventually you're going to get hit, is my, uh, well, my actual <laughs> good way of putting it. <laughs> or you'll meet a bum, one of the two. You never know. Exactly. Now, let me ask you for, uh, for everybody listening. Uh, we talked about you working with Jet Li, and we talked about you working on the Rocky pictures. Tell us about your background in terms of, uh, in terms of martial training, because obviously you have to have some skill sets there. Uh, what, is, what is your... What is your background in terms of uh, being in shape, in terms of uh, fighting, that sort of thing? When I started, I was 12 years old. I started with a Kempo guy named David German, and I was with him for about three years. And then I went up uh, and had a break for about five years. Then I went to Ed Parker School in Pasadena under Grandmaster uh, Edmund uh, Parker, and his head instructor was a guy named Frank Trejo. And I was yeah. with Frank for about 10 years, and Frank is fantastic. Then I trained with him on and off. As I moved around, I went to uh, James Abrao, who's Parker's first black belt. But James Abrao had switched over to something called uh, Junbao Wushu. So instead of teaching American Kempo, he was teaching Wushu. So I went with him for five years and then went on to Tom Serrano for Shotokan. Then I ended up with a guy named Larry Landless for ground fighting. So I had a really well-rounded background, uh, even as I was you know, working for these parts. I remember one day I... I went to an audition for this, this new show that no one had seen yet called Power Rangers. And in my audition, I told the guy, I told the guy, listen, I'm going to hit you a few times, but very lightly, you'll won't feel anything, just throw a right punch, followed by a right hook, and then a kick. He said, okay. And the woman said, hey, get out of here. I said, why? She goes, we're not here to hurt anybody. I didn't hurt him. She goes, no, that's too violent. And I'll never forget that because 
each show has its own particular look and feel and taste for, for what they want to show. What I was doing was so hardcore. Even though I didn't hurt the guy, it wasn't a match. And I think everybody has to keep in mind that what someone's looking for, you've got to mold yourself to give it to them. And that's a really important thing. And I, uh, I think that's a great point to, to let all the actors who are listening right now know. Uh, so, too, you know, whenever you, uh, whenever you enter into a different genre of film, it would behoove you to take the time to see, well, what are they, what are they casting? What are they looking for? What is the yep. feel that you're, trying to, that you're trying to emulate? Absolutely. You know, you can't. A lot of times you, do, you think you're wrong for the part, but you're not. But what you're delivering is wrong for that director. And you really got to find out. You have to ask questions. What are you looking for? What kind of a character? How do I deliver the lines? All that stuff ends up into you getting the role. And if you walk in, there's so much rejection in Hollywood. I think what the rejection comes from is you just didn't know what they wanted. You really have to ask first. And if you can't ask, well, you got a problem. I want to go back a little bit. I want to know what your what your heritage is. Where did you come from? What, what streets did you did you come from? Actually, from L.A. You know, I was originally born in Milwaukee, but I got here when I was six months old. So I grew up right here in, in, in Pasadena and a little city called West Covina. And, oh, yeah. you know, great childhood, a lot of uh, big family, uh, great schools, and uh, just really wanting to do something different than everyone else was doing. You know, I always wanted to work for myself. I never wanted to hold a job. For anybody, even even though I've held jobs from everybody from Starbucks to to Fuller Brushman, literally, and, and selling vacuum cleaners door to door, all that stuff just to, to to try and fund what I was doing to create a business and to create a business model. So, you know, that, that was the best thing that could have happened because it's led to me to be able to do things like write, produce, direct, you know, and work for other people in those capacities as well. Because you've you got to kind of follow your dream. My dream was you know, kind of have my own thing. And I've been very, very blessed, very lucky. Well, I'm hearing how much you push yourself and how important it is that you have your own self-motivation. Did you get some of that motivation or some of that skill from your family as well? Were they, were they behind you on, on your dreams and your hopes? No, I kind of left home early. You know, I, all, all my brothers, everybody left home early. And they had their own little path think that we all just had this concept that, you know, mediocre was not going to be good enough and 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 right. we didn't want mediocre. And we were trying right. to not be mediocre. That was that was a really tough thing for us because we were uh, a little different than most families that were that were around me when I was growing up and there was no father in the home, so that was another thing. So that was a really tough thing to overcome, but it also made you a little more independent. So I feel, you know, the kids who don't have fathers, I understand them now. But sometimes you've got to take ownership of your own destiny. And I think it's, it's really uh, incumbent upon you to understand that you are responsible for your success or failure. You are responsible for where you end up in life. And there's no circumstances or no one person who changes that except for you. You've really got to adapt. And I think that's one thing that I've been pretty good at over the years and, and, and very blessed to, to say that I, I was. Right. I myself, I'm first-generation American. Both my parents came from different countries. So uh, growing up as a first-generation American, I, I definitely noticed the difference between me and other people as far as drive. I really wanted to not revel in mediocrity is what I would call it. I'm not going to revel in yeah. mediocrity. I, my, my parents didn't leave their country 
their friends, their family, their loved ones, a guaranteed job, a guaranteed education to come to a foreign country so I can become, I don't know, a stoner. Well, yeah, that's, so that was no, always that's my a, mentality. Yeah, that's a, different, that's a different thing, though, because people that come from other countries, like, I've traveled quite a bit, and I've got to tell you, I've seen poverty like you can't believe. And America is not just a land of opportunity. It's a land where you can get by long enough until you make it. I mean, it really is a place where you can get by. And I see some of these other countries, when you're stuck in a caste system or you're stuck in a, in a lower echelon of society, you're staying there. It's going to be very difficult to break out. But here, you know, you, there's so much you can do, and there's so much you have to do to get away from that, that mindset. Right. Well, you know, this, uh, it's all very positive. Well, if you go negative, what do you have? You know, that's, if, if, you, if we all were just realists and, and pessimists and they said this is what it is, we'd all kill ourselves tomorrow. But if you right. have hope and you have a drive and you have a dream, there's something for you to cling to at least long enough to get through. But I see a lot of failures out there, and I watch them every day. And I'll tell you, these people, when someone gets beaten down and there's no positive attitude to help them up and no, no optimism, it's a, it's a tough sell. It's a very tough sell. It's a tough business. Very tough business. I agree. You know, e- even the small little things you write about the lackey and, and little happiness and little things like that, they boost morale. They, they make, you know, Sean and I and the rest of the crew very happy that you're doing that. And, and, and that's, it's, it's, a, it's a nice gesture, and it pushes everybody along. It, it goes back to the mentality that you lift each other up, and you will lift each other up as a team, but you pull each other down, and it'll be crabs in a basket. Well, more than that. You know, you said it's a small thing. It's not a small thing. Any production that gets off the ground, gets made, pushes forward, I mean, that's a, that's a huge success. I don't care who you are. And I see, like, like I had a project a couple of years ago, and we'd shot about $50,000 worth of it in our eighth day. And two of the actors decided to pull a little bit of a mutiny on me. And I was, I was standing there, and I walked out of the room and turned the lights out in the studio. And they said, what are you doing? I said, this movie's over. And they're going, we're only eight days. I said, no, 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 this movie's over. And I went back and shot it a couple of years later. It's called Sonny and Ray Ray, sonnyandrayraymovie.com. And it came out ten times better. You were mentioning uh, – Batman, Superman crossover stars Harry Lennox, who's in that in Blacklist. I got Nick Mancuso, Bobby Eakes, the great Carmen Argenziano. But it, it only happened two years later, but it only happened because I was willing to say no to the production I had. So, yeah, we lost some money, but, again, I didn't want to revel in mediocrity, as you say, and I stopped it in its tracks. And I don't mind doing that with a project. You know, it, no project to me is small. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're a part of, whatever's making you get toward that goal you're with, that's a big thing. You know, you, it, it's not like you're, you're changing your boxer shorts on Father's Day. You know what I mean? It's like you're putting on a brand-new suit to go for an audition. So it's a big difference. It's a big difference to me. Yeah, unless, unless of course, you did get brand-new boxer shorts on Father's Day, in which case change them, uh, change them with impunity, everybody, because uh, it's a good thing. I don't, even know, I don't even know how you afford shorts. I never wear shorts. You can afford them. We save. We, we we scratch and claw the pennies together. That, that's uh, that's that's, that's amazing. Life. That's amazing to me. And uh, what are these things you talk about? Socks. What are those? Oh, there like is some. It's a wonderful concept. They're the latest thing. They keep your toes nice and warm. They're not See, quite. I don't know. 
They're not quite sandals either. They're, they're, they're just this perfect blending, this amalgam in between. It's perfect. That's why yeah, I, I thought always wear wool children. I'll have to send you the latest thing. Uh, now, talking about Sonny and Ray Ray, you, you directed it, you wrote it. Um, we, talk, we touched a little bit about you as an actor. How, what is it like being on set as a director and knowing that, you know, this is, this project kind of, the sun rises and sets with you and, uh, and as a writer as well, because this is, this is, was your vision that you, that you brought to light. I mean, you wear so many hats and wear them all so well. What's it like to get on stage and know that you now are in charge? You, you have to cultivate these performances and protect these actors in order to get you what you want. Well, I'm a real big fan of the rehearsal process, first and foremost. And I won't shoot any film I haven't rehearsed for at least two months because I want to get rid of people who don't want to be there, and I want to embrace the people who do because your film really does rise and fall with their performances. And I read somewhere where Christopher Nolan had rehearsed the film for a year before he shot it. And I thought to myself, man, that guy must know what he's doing. And I had come from a theater background where I had done a couple of stage plays and produced those. And I was in love with the rehearsal process and also the discovery of what these movies are about because once you write them, it changes when you bring a, a particular actor or actress in and it changes again when you see them working as a cast. And so if you don't understand your material and you don't give your material a chance to breathe and, that, you know, when you bake bread, you have a chance for the dough to rise. That's the rehearsal process. And once you get, you see which dynamics work, because I'm not afraid of changing dialogue. You know, when I worked on Behind the Gate with Joe Pesci, I had the greatest experience. Uh, the producer, Mark Giardino, executive producer, said, hey, Joe wants to talk to you. And I said, for what? He goes, he wants to go over the writing with us. I said, okay. So we went over to his house, and I was waiting for him to be a real, you know, just arrogant, you know, kind of an egotistical guy, and he wasn't. He was so humble. He said, listen, I want you to sit with me. I'm going to say all the words in the script. You change whatever I don't say properly. I said, okay, why is that? He goes, because some words don't fit my mouth. And when he said that, a light bulb, a light bulb went off, because when you write your script as a director, as a writer, you forget that these people have to come and interpret that for you. Well, it should be interpreted the way that they speak. That gives you different voices in the piece, which makes it more interesting. And I did, he did learn that trick from Scorsese, and I said, what a brilliant thing to do. I mean, how many people actually go to an artist and say, please read these words, I'd like to hear it. And that led to me, you know, of course, going to the Fellow Adler Academy, which is one of the AOF sponsors, and hiring actors or having actors come in and read my scripts. So every time I write a new script, I go do a script read with a bunch of different actors because I want to hear their voices around those words. And I think it makes a difference. You, you know, Dale, the interesting thing, I was, I was watching the TV show Veep, and uh, I, I really, really, really love it. And my sister-in-law loves it too, Amanda. Um, but the one thing I loved about it was the fact that it kind of taught me a little lesson there, whereas I've always written from my own mind, and when I didn't write from my own mind, I wrote for actors that I was familiar with because I knew their voices. So that was kind of a cheat. When I saw her act, I saw that I wasn't releasing enough um, trust into the actors, that I was really writing their parts overly instead of allowing them space. Is that, is that what you're touching base on? 100%. It's like, it's like hiring a, a mechanic to do your plumbing. You don't do that. You hire a, a plumber to do your plumbing. And these actors, some of them are so well-trained and so 
perfectly talented, that they can bring something to you you never knew existed. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of these films that these people, the, the, the filmmakers who submit to action on film, blow your mind. But you don't know it as a writer. You're saying, well, I'll write for these people that sound like this. But I think you're doing yourself a disservice as a director. You have to trust that the work is so good that when a, if, uh, an actor or a producer gets involved or an assistant director even, when they get on that set and they hear something that resonates with them, they're going to add their talent to it to make it better. And I think that's what the, the, the cast process is about and the team process is about, about making everyone better. And that's why you kind of, when you made the Ed Norton comment about rewriting the scripts he's in, I find that to be completely offensive because he's an actor, not a writer per se. If he wrote it, I'd like to see him write and produce his own film that we can critique as opposed to rewriting someone else's script. I want him to augment that script with me but not change my overall thought process. So that's something that I'm very, very protective of, but I still give the, the actors a chance to, 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 to breathe. And, to, and to, if they ad-lib, that's great, too. We always shoot three ways. We shoot the establishing shot, the close-ups, my way, and then we shoot a third take always for the actors to do whatever they want to do. Whatever comes out best, that's the one we use. That's a, you know, that's can we go back on that? Can you, a, hold on, Charles. Can you, can you go yeah. back on that and, and give us a little more detail on that? Because I, I'm sure that your audience wants to hear that process yet again of your filmmaking. Well, here's what, here's so what you do. First, for me, here's, here's what you do. You rehearse the piece first for, you know, eight weeks or so. You were, Everybody rehearses, even the smallest part to rehearse. And then when we get on set, we usually shoot with two to three cameras at a time. So I'm getting a greater amount of coverage, and I can do more in my, in my, uh, my, my creative side. So one camera will be covering one actor, another the other actor, and that'll be our wide shot. The second time we go, we shoot our close-ups or the shoulder shots. And again, those are directed by me my way. And then we shoot the close-ups again a third time, and that's for the actors to do whatever they want to do. If there's certain things that they feel they, this character would do this or that, I say go ahead and do it. And if it's good, I shoot it again. But what happens is I get my movie and I get their movie. And then we get to post it between the editor and myself and maybe one of the producers to sit down and look at it and see, hey, what do we do here? How do we change this? What makes it better? And what do we use? And you get the best of everyone because the actors are vested. Even the DP, when he comes in and says, use this angle from this side with this lighting. You know, I always say, great, but I already have my own lighting schemes in my mind. And so we have a chance to change things over a bit. And I always tell me what you want to do because ultimately I am responsible for the film. Ultimately, I have to pay the investors back. And ultimately, if it's a failure, they don't say the craft services guy ruined the film. They say Dell ruined the film. So I want to use my voice and then give them the chance to use theirs as well. And, and many times, what they were thinking is 100 times better than what I had. And I go with it. That's awesome. You're awesome. Do you, do you ever find that because you know, you, you are such a prolific writer. When you're writing, when you wear all these hats, do you ever find yourself saying, wow, I'm, I'm too close to this project. I kind of need to, to, to pull away and wear less hats, or is the opposite the case where it's like more and more and more, let me, let me get my hands into every facet possible? Well, the problem is I just love the craft so much. You know, I love, I love being on set. I love rehearsal. I love shooting. I love editing. I, I love the art so much. I mean, this, when you make a film, to me, 
it's like painting a, a, a beautiful landscape or like taking a beautiful picture or like writing a great song. And I want to be a part of what I'm doing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm never happier than when I'm on a film set. Never, ever. I'm never happier than when I'm with, when I'm, you know, in rehearsal or when I'm putting a picture together. And even in post, I'm never happier than when I'm sitting in post. And so I don't really have a problem with any of them. I mean, I'll go get coffee while someone's doing them. I mean, I just want to be in that process because to me, that's the most joyous thing you can do, which is create. And it's, even watching it when it's done is no is 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 not as good as being there producing. I remember on behind the gate, I had a chance to go to the Great Bedford Hollywood Track Racetrack and be inside the gate with the horses before they ran. So I'm up, I'm up, and you know I'm a pretty big guy. I mean, I'm six four, three hundred pounds, and so I'm a pretty big guy sitting up in this in this uh, this stall with these horses. I got a camera, I'm hand holding a five D uh, on a small Red Rock mount for eight races. And I got to tell you, I was never happier in my life than standing there waiting to fall down off of this thing and shooting some really great stuff. So it's, to me, every facet of it is exciting. So I kind of want to immerse myself in it. Also, I think my enthusiasm carries over to because they know I want to be there. And I, I hate when I hear people say, well, we have to shoot another day. We got to do a pickup. Hey, go shoot your extra day. Do your, be thrilled about it. I mean, be thrilled. This is something that most people can't do. They're at their job changing tires or taking notes or they're a customer service rep. To me, that's death. I mean, that, that's like, that's the herald of a, of, a, of a great death. But to be able to create something, oh, my God, are you kidding me? That's why the festival, I think, runs so well is because I appreciate the effort of these filmmakers. When I saw the lackey the first time and the energy and the excitement of that audience and your and Sean's energy, it was great, and then I saw it again seven months later out in Irvine, Orange County. The same excitement was there. That can only come from enthusiastic people who love what they do. That's a, that's a huge thing. That's not a small thing. Thank you, Dale. Let's stop right there. That's a great segue right there. We're going to take a short little break. We can talk to Dell literally for five hours, but unfortunately, this is a two-hour show, so we're going to take a, a short be, little you'd break. Be, you'd be we'll wasting most of your time, trust me. I, I think people, I think your audience has gotten more information on how to make film and how to have a good attitude and how to forward progress in Hollywood in the 20 minutes, 30 minutes that you've been talking than almost anybody I've listened to in the past year. So we're going to give people to process all this great information that you've given them. We'll put a little music on and then we'll come back and we'll talk about action on films because I can't wait to talk to you about that. Everybody hold on for just a second here. Let's get our grips in. And let's listen to some, uh, some chitter-chatter.
We're just having a great show here with Dell Action on Films Western. Adele, let's 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 dive into uh, action on films here. How, how did this first begin? There was a, a festival up north in Northern California, and they had accepted my very first film, which was called Camden. It was shot on film, beautifully acted, beautifully produced, and that uh, we got there, and they were literally showing the movies on sheets that they had duct taped to walls in the in the wow. basements of wine of wineries up in California, Northern California, and. It wasn't that that really got me upset. It was the way that the festival producers treated the filmmakers, which I thought was really, really unkind. And I said, I'm going to start my own festival. And so three years later, I had the opportunity uh, working with the uh, International uh, Martial Arts Championships in Long Beach to uh, do just that with a guy named Steve Cooper and, again, Frank Treo. And we uh, got part of the convention center. We got David Carradine. We shot, I think we showed around 40 films, and something happened where I said, you know what, films can't be shown in screening rooms. They've got to be in theaters with popcorn and sodas and a real atmosphere. So I moved from there two years later, and we began trying to find a way to look for filmmakers who'd been marginalized or who couldn't get their films accepted or who had just been treated poorly by the regular industry. And then we added seminars, parties, dinners, award shows. And we noticed that every time we got someone in there who was kind and negative or, or boo-hooed what was going on, we'd get rid of them really fast. I mean, really fast. That went on to even there's a great filmmaker named uh, Kelly McClung who made a film called Blood Ties back in 2005, oh, yeah. which won our best action feature. And he approached me one day at the festival. He said, so I won this award. So what? Big deal. And I said, well, put it to you this way there were probably 10,000 guys who didn't win. Look at it that way. And now Kelly's one of my biggest champions making films like Perception and Kerberos and all these films. I mean, this guy's a true artist. But we understand each other now. He sees the value of being recognized, awarded, and, and held up to the world saying, hey, I did something that most people can't do. And I think that's what the award process is, even the acceptance process to be able to screen your film. And that goes from people who have just only put people who are in the film with their friends and their family, Film Alliance, Showcase Entertainment, uh, uh, a bunch of others, uh, American uh, media groups that come out every single year, multivisionaire, and they pick up films and sell them. You know, the kid named Aaron Kermy, who's been with us for four or five years out of Canada, he made a film called The Medic two years ago. That film was picked up and sold overseas he made enough money to buy all brand new equipment and shoot his next film. And he's got a deal now with distributor for uh, more films to come. And that's what we're trying to create, that atmosphere where you come in and you've got a shot to do something with your movie. It's very important. But it came from, from being completely blown, blown away by this other stuff. It was just it was a horrible experience, just horrible. Was it hard, well, for to, us, get, uh, was it hard to get the festival off the ground? It happened in less than six months. And what happened was, I, I really think it's important that, that we put out there that it, it, oh, if I had not failed so miserably at that first festival, if he had not been treated so badly, there's no way I ever could have created this. But that experience left such a horrible scar that I said, i got to create something that's unlike anything else that's out there. And you'll notice that with action on film, 
people call themselves AOFers and the AOF family. I didn't have to create that. They did. So even the energy I get back to these filmmakers who come from all over the world, as you've been there, you know it. They come in from Germany, France, Spain, the U.K., Australia. They come from everywhere. And it's a pretty amazing event, but it's that energy they, get, they bring me. So it wasn't hard to start, and it, it's not really hard to do now. It's more of just a pleasure. It really is. I mean, it's expensive, but it's a pleasure. Well, my, my, like, like we said earlier in the show, my first experience of meeting you was through Action on Film. And I really didn't know what to expect. I, I showed up at the theater. We showed up early to put up all our signs and, you know, really just meet the people, see their films, have fun. We found it to be an incredibly warm environment, a great theater. The audience was fantastic. It was produced well. It was very casual and very relaxed, but also very formal. It was a, it was a beautiful, beautiful uh, atmosphere. Did you work very hard to get it? To, I mean, obviously, we were at the ninth, probably ninth, right, ninth annual of Action on Films. Did it start off that way? Did it take time to no, no, no. progress? It was very small. Time? No, very small, very intimate. No sponsors. We've never taken on um, these huge sponsors like a lot of like a lot of festivals have because once that sponsor goes away, the festival crashes and burns. And so we've seen that happen over and over again. So we work with local sponsor partners. We do have a few national people who get involved, but. We, we say if we can't afford to do it, we don't do it. And that's, that's the, the, one of the toughest things that we're up against because we want to use premier theaters. We want to use premier locations for our parties and events. And we want to make sure that people are treated well, like the, the Doubletree by Hilton is our host hotel this year. They have a magnificent hotel. Our award shows at the Hilton Pasadena, beautiful ballroom. You know, it's just it's, it's in the Krikorian theaters, you're not going to see a better theater. So when you walk in there, they've got stadium seating in every theater. They have the the the, uh, the rounded theater screens, and they're huge, and just great projection. Five point one sound. It's tough to beat it. You know, it's really tough. We just don't show our libraries. You know what I mean? We we, should, we, we don't do that. That's just yeah, where we were was definitely not a it was definitely not a library. My my no. mother came out to watch that one. It was it was really really nice. Charles, you had a question. Uh, yeah, I wanted to know, um, you know, because you, you, you hearkened on it earlier. Tell, tell us, if you would, a little bit about the, uh, the awards process, uh, what you look for in terms of the quality of a film, what kind of awards uh, you present at Action on Films, and uh, just what it is that, what it is that, that you're looking for as, as a shining example of the craft of movie making. You know, I, I think the passion of the filmmaker is one of the first things. I'm one of the lucky festival programmers and directors who gets to talk to filmmakers on a regular basis. And if I see a film I really like, I pick up the phone and I call the filmmaker and say, hey, I just saw your film and I love it. And we discuss the film. And getting the energy back to that filmmaker is one of the first things I like to hear about. I, I, I had the unfortunate, unfortunate yeah. incident of calling, calling a guy last week and I said, hey, I love your movie. He goes, he was really, I go, what? He goes, yeah, big deal. I go, okay, well, sorry I bought it. You have a good day. Wow. And someone must wow. have spoken to him because I got three phone calls within the next two days from the same guy. Hey, I made a mistake. And I'm like, hey, well, part of the process was, you know, I just want to say thank you. But to the ones who don't act like that, you can, you can then have a, a relationship. and You could say, you know, I can give you a place to show your films for quite a long time to come. I can partner with you on whatever you're doing and make sure that you have audiences that you'll be willing to market with me that you'll have 
the opportunity to sell if you will make sure that these rules are followed. For instance, you've got to have your rights and clearances. You've got to have your your uh, your ownership, uh, trail of ownership paperwork together for your releases and all your locations and insurance. You've got to have your E&O. And if they have that stuff, then I can help send them to the next level, which, of course, is sales. And we've helped sell probably over 100 films to date. And I don't think a lot of festivals can say that. So that comes from wanting to be a part of helping those filmmakers. And a lot of that comes just from them. So when, when I met or talked to Sean about the last guy, I called him up. He, you know, we already talked about the film. And that, that's a prime. Vernon Wells is great, but Vernon Wells is not a huge name. But what the film has going for it is the love of the craft by the performers. And you can see three or four different styles of film in that film. And the, uh-huh. film, takes itself, the film takes itself very seriously. And I think what I look for is filmmakers and films that are serious and want to be professional. That's really what it comes down to. I, mean, I really think that I don't know all the genres. I don't know all the performers. But I can tell when a film has been taken seriously as an art form. That's what's exciting to me. What was it? Um, what was it about the lackey that caught your attention when you sat uh, down? Number, to... uh, the first thing was the the style of editing. They had a really great style of editing, and they also used the uh, the cartoonish type of a feel effectively without making it look cartoonish. They also had the great action. Sean is a sympathetic hero, and I'm seeing a lot more of these martial arts guys that are not the big, gigantic, you know, six foot three you know, uh, Schwarzenegger types, but these more uh, average-sized, you know, not hugely muscular guys, but actually are, are just stunning with their physicality. And that's for the action films. For the romantic films we show and the dramas we show, I'm looking for the anti-guy. You know, when people who break the mold on casting, the good-looking guy does not have to be George Clooney. The good-looking girl does not have to be, you know, uh, Nicole Kidman or somebody. It can be someone who's a little different in their type and then, of course, story. Story trumps everything. When you find a good story, that's, the, that's it. You know, story is like, even if you go back to your comic books, Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, story is what brought you to those pages. The drawings may have made you excited, but the story is what kept you coming back month after month to buy them. And I think it's the same thing with the films we showcase. Well, we're, we're, we're getting on to the 10th annual International Film Festival for Action on Films. We want to be, put a big shout-out to uh, Teresa Weston. Uh, thank you very yeah, much for great. reaching out to us. And she's yeah. fantastic. She made sure that she's uh, great. her hubby was on and, and, and uh, everything, all the P's and Q's were there. Uh, we're going yeah, on she's to also the, the festival annual. director. Yeah, she's, yeah. Really? Please tell me. So, so yeah, she's the festival director, and she also books all the Dell Weston Action on Film show, which you can see at Dell Weston on Film. She books all the talent. I don't. I have nothing to do with the booking of that show, and she does a fantastic job. She's amazing. She she actually contacted me yeah. before we before she realized we actually knew each other a little bit. But it was she was oh, pretty fast. Funny. I, I got to. <laughs> she was really that's fast. funny. But yeah, big shout out to her. Let's talk a little bit about the tenth annual uh, international film festival action on film. So what do you what are you expecting from this showing? Who's coming back? Who's what's going on here? Please. I think we're going to have probably around 150 returning filmmakers this year. We're going to have probably 150 to 200 returning writers this year. And those are people who've shown with us before. The rest of the work will be by new people or people we contacted over the last couple of years or who've contacted us. 
We're going to show roughly 500 projects uh, this season from August 22nd to the 30th. Film screening at Corcorian Theaters in Monrovia, California from 12 p.m. daily till 12 a.m. We've got a lot of great comedies, drama, dramatic features, documentaries that are going to be showing. But one thing that's different about this year, uh, it's our third year in the city of Monrovia. So we're doing five charity events, one for Kiwanis, one for Rotary, one for YMCA, one for the Monrovia schools, and then a very special event for MAMA, which is a a group for uh, mothers who are advocating medical uh, cannabis for kids with uh, cancer and autism. And I have personal uh, uh, touch with a a young man who has uh, autism at 13. And when you see what these kids go through, Oh, my God. you got to find a way to help them. So we're going to do a special event for them, and that's our first year doing five charity events in one week. And then, of course, we have our huge Black Tie Dinner and Awards show on the 30th. But in between that, you've got five days of seminars, seven days of parties. And what we try and do is make it a very immersive event where people can come together and contact each other, especially with the distributors and, and buyers who are there. Not so much with the sales rep. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of sales reps. I'm a huge fan of straight-out distributors who go to all the major shows like Cannes and uh, Berlin and Canada. Where they, when they go to those shows in the American film market, and I know they have a booth there, they're legitimate to me, and it makes sense that they can take the films of these filmmakers and try and sell them because there's so many deals right. you can make now. So even with the film Behind the Gate, we went with a company called Yekra.com. And they're like an iTunes, but they do a little more targeted uh, uh, delivery of the film. So we're, we're with them for the first three months, and I think we're going to be going with Multivision Air for foreign sales. And, of course, we're going to hit up HBO and, and the regular cable stations for our, our, uh, our regular distribution model here. But it's going to be a solid year, and a lot of people are going to do very, very well. Well, I love the I love the altruism, you know, uh, to be able to reach out and, and give back to the community and the people and, uh, you know, your work with Mama. And I, it's just, it's, it's incredible to be able to take what you're doing and really use it as a vehicle whereby you can assist other people. And to that end, I have a question for you. Let's say uh, I'm a young filmmaker or an old filmmaker. I don't, uh, I don't, uh, uh, I, I don't cut anybody off at the knees for, for entering into the business at an older age. But let's say I'm a filmmaker and I say, you know, I want to get into action on film. Is there a limit to the length? Like, let's say I, I do shorts. Do you guys have a short? Uh, we have every category you can imagine. We have everything from sequences up to full-on features. And we've shown films as short as one minute and as long yeah. as three hours. And I think that the key is most festivals have a programming method. Where, oh, we only show this and this and this. We don't have that rule. We, if it's good and we can fit it in programming, we show it. And that's one reason why Action on Film grows every year, because by our mandate, we have to have enough screen space to show more films every year because more of the filmmakers are returning filmmakers. And we can no longer guarantee that we're going to show them for sure, but we try and keep a good number of them you know, with a place to show without cutting back the number of new people we let in. So we started out as a three-day festival. Then we went to five, and now we're at eight. I imagine over the next three or four years we'll be up to two weeks. But the point that we're trying to put together is that if it's a good film, if it's a passionate film, 
no matter what the genre, no matter what the length, we'll show it. It's about awards earlier. We give away awards in 65 categories. That's everything from best score, uh, 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 titles, graphics, uh, uh, writing, performances, action, you know, social media. We do all that stuff, but we double it, 65 for the shorts and 65 for the features. So it gives more people a chance to have their work recognized. And it's unfair to judge a short by the same criteria you judge a feature. So we make sure that all the awards are doubled for both features and shorts, and that way no one's cut out. I thought it was really interesting when you mentioned the person who didn't really appreciate your your um, liking their film. When your 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 festival was called the Top 25 Festival's Worth Its Admission, and... Uh, the attention that we got from Action on Films was huge. It was really gigantic. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little shocked yeah, that somebody but, would have that attitude. Yeah, but see, that what? thing, I mean, that, the thing with the, 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 the films worth the fees, that competition, found out that if you run ads with a certain magazine, then they will judge your festival that way. And so I stopped running ads with them. And then the next year, they put me in that list. I go, I'm not running ads with you. They go, well, we've gotten so, so much feedback how great your show was, we put you back on the list. I said, well, thank you, but that's not necessary. And part of what, you know, we have our own TV show. Our show hits more people than any magazine reaches out to. And we, we're a million people in the L.A. area. And then we're also on Peg Media, so they're downloading us across the country for, for distribution. And we've been getting some really big stars for that show. I mean, Harry Lennox from Superman, both Spencer from Walking Tall and Inglorious Bastards. Right on down the line, Charlena Moya from How I Met Your Mother, Jillian Rose Reed from Awkward on MTV. So we're getting all cross-sections of these celebrities who are coming in now, as well as regular filmmakers. And I think that's the best type of promotion we could get is where people say, I've been there, I, I really like it, just like what you said, and we were treated well. That's all I can hope to do. It's, it's not a political festival. You don't have to know me to win. In fact, I never met you guys. I think the lackey was up for four awards. I know they won one or two that year, but I don't know you guys. So, well, you have to buy us a check for 2500 bucks. None of that stuff goes on here. It's one of those things where if we like your film, we champion your film. And, you know, right. that's, that's all there really is to it. There has to be some place you can go where it's not like I heard about a festival up in Canada, and they've invited all their films by the time they open their submission line. I had a judge who was on their committee tell me one day, he goes, you know what we do? When the films come in at this point, all we do is open them, take out the checks, and throw everything else in the trash. I go, get out of here. He goes, that's how we do it. And that makes me sick. We guarantee to watch every single film, to read every single script. And if you, you can name a film, I'll probably know what the film about is about. And that's after 10 years. And that's because we really pay attention to what these people are trying to create, produce, and do. Very important, though. Extremely important. Well, when we were there for the for the ninth annual, uh, you know, I made it a point to to, to meet you, and I actually met you twice. And, and you know, I really wanted to make that point of you know we, we need to meet the program coordinator. We need to do this. We need to do this. And it did. It didn't. You're right. Really matter. You should. It didn't. And that's didn't, one of the, that's you know, one of reasons I, why I came I mean, to your. Go ahead. What's your? Right. Anyway, I mean, I, I made a point. I was going to say that that's why I came to your screening. I'd already seen the film four times. But when you and Sean said we're doing a screening in Orange County, well, let's go. And I try and see as many films as I can, even if it's not at my festival. 
I try to support the filmmaker and what they're doing so we can see their work. You know, those audiences are very key to their success, and I want to be a part of that. Yes. Well, you're, you're very humble. I, you know, just meeting you and meeting your wife, incredibly humble. I mean, the things you say are, are so spot on with what a lot of actors want to hear, what a lot of creators, writers, directors want to hear. Of course, I'm a little older than a lot of these other young writers, so I, I, I get where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from because once you hit a certain age, you, you don't really have that care so much attitude about certain things, and you really kind of uh, focus more on what's important in your life. When, when did that happen to you, and did that, did that help your career in the future? I think when my first child was born eight years ago, I think that was really a, um, a big turning point for me. And also when I lost a big job. You know, I had a, a television show on Spike TV for a while, and it was a huge show. Um, it was a, a great show. But I found out that business isn't always business on that show. And the show ended up getting canceled and losing its financing, but we've gotten 10 of the first 12 episodes done. And so to me, I put all the love and care I had into that thing. I really did. And I felt that way with my first child as well. I mean, those two, those two things occurring simultaneously really changed my perspective. And it also impacted my health because I had my first heart attack at the very same time. So it was a tough, tough thing. Uh, going on there, and I realized you cannot do all these things. you really got to trim them back. And so the focus you talk about is very, very clear now, exactly what I'm doing, exactly who I'll deal with, exactly what I want, and exactly what I don't want. And I think that's, that's really what's important to me now. I can, I can see clearly what doesn't fit in what I'm trying to do. And if it's not in that in that in that grouping of, of, of what's important, like the filmmakers, the films, the festival, the writers, the producers, so those all those people are very important to me. The ones who are not serious about it are a little less important. Del, such a pleasure to have you on. Uh, a question that I want to ask is: I am a producer, a writer, a director, an actor. Uh, I don't really know what to do, how to move myself forward, and I come to you, Dell. It's Sunday. The, the I, you know, I want to, I want to hit the ground running tomorrow. What should I do? Where should three I go? Things. How- three things. Three things. You got to have good connections. You got to work with quality people. That's number one. I don't care what anybody tells you. You got to work with quality people, and you also have to be of service to quality people. So. When I got the call to do Behind the Gate, I was coming in just as kind of a post-production guy. But when I met with the producers, uh, Daryl Land and Mark Giardino, I said, hey, guys, we got to reshoot part of this movie, and we got to add something to this. You're, you're about a foot away from having a great film. And they turned around and said, Dell, you know what? You're right. Let's do it. So they spent some more money, and, and what came from that was they won what was called the Wrangler Award this year for that film. Now, three years ago, Steven Spielberg won that award for Into the West. Two years ago, Ken Burns won it for the West. And last year, Kevin Costner won it for Hatfield and McCoy's. So we won this year. But that only came because they were quality people who were willing to move forward with changing the project from what it was to what it could be. So I always say, number one, get good connections, because this business is a business of nepotism. And 
once you're involved in the system with a good group of people, you're going to stay. That means your investors will be with you, the other creative people will be with you, and talent will be with you. Secondly, don't be afraid to, to tell people what you think and know that you're telling them for their own good or for your own good about the quality of a project. So work with quality people. That's so key for me. Stay with If you find someone who doesn't have the quality that, that you want to showcase, get away from them. Run. Just just run. And then number three, whatever you're passionate about, well, you, you've told me five things, write, produce, direct, act, you know, and uh, 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 I guess you do some posts, I'm assuming. You have to with everything you're talking about. Find the one thing that really gets you excited and then make your, your first project using that best skill set that you have. And then put that out there and then and, and, and go from there. But it's sometimes I think people get too deluded when they, when they say everything. I usually only do one or two things in a project at a time. I never do everything. I discovered a long time ago that there are people who can do it, and they're few and far between, and most of their stories are made up. It's like Robert Rodriguez with his $8,000 El Mariachi. El Mariachi is a horrible right. film. I hate to say that. It's a horrible, horrible film. But when they brought that film up that he'd made for 8000 they spent another 300000 cleaning it up. And right. no one tells the other side. Mm-hmm. That's, that film was unreleasable until they spent. So he had a team of people who put another three hundred grand in and then a budget for marketing, for print and advertising. That's how it got made. But the story of this $8,000 film is a myth. He had a team with right. him. And he's got a team now. So you've got to get a good team. That's very important. Words of wisdom. You know, we have time for one caller. We have Derek Cooper online. Derek you have a question here for our, our, our good friend, Del Weston? Um, not specifically for him, but I do have a question, yes. Oh. Do you, um, You're on? Yeah, sorry. D- d- did my accent throw you off? Um, it's, um, no. Do you know the films, um, 28 Days Later? You seen 28 Days Later? Yes. yes. Yeah? Have you, seen, have you seen part two? 28 weeks later. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the next one? Yeah, 28 yeah. months later. Well, I've, you know, you can see where I'm going here. I've heard a rumour, yeah. and it's going to be starring Robert Carlyle. Do you know Robert Carlyle? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to be starring Robert Carlyle. It's, it's like a zombie film. It's more like a virus film. A little bit like a Resident Evil film, I suppose. But, um, there's going to be a new one coming out called, well, 28 Years Later. Have you heard of that film, 28 Years Later, after the, the virus infected Europe? No, we have not. No, I have not heard of that, no. No? Well, apparently, it's, it's going to go have um, Robert Carlyle on it still. So, I don't know. I'll just uh, phone you boys up. You, you were talking about films. I like 28 Days Later, Resident Evil, Evil Dead, you know, Bruce Campbell, all that sort of thing, so... Uh, I thought I'd uh, throw it your oh. way. Well, let's hope it's I great. It'll be uh, fantastic. Yeah, thank you I so appreciate much for the statement call. as much as questions. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Derek. You know, let's, let's, um, we're, we're, we're hitting, well, I can talk to you for hours here, and we're, we're hitting Mark right now. So let's, let's, let's see how we can find you. Del, everybody wants to find you. How can we find you? Facebook, for Twitter. On- yeah, for action on film, you can go to AOSFest.com, AOSFest.com, and that's for the festival 
We're accepting submissions through July 10th, and then our late acceptance deadline is August 5th. For Dell Weston's action on film, go to dellwestononfilm.com. That's dellwestononfilm.com. You can see the television show, which we shoot weekly. And then for uh, other information, you go right to Facebook uh, uh, slash Dell Weston, and that will tell you everything you need to know. And by the way, you guys do a great job. Good for you. Fantastic. Fantastic oh, show. Thank you, Dell. Thank you. Thank you. Have you on relevant. Uh, well, I'm, listen, I'm honored to be here. Thank you guys very much. I look forward to seeing you with the show this year as well. Thank you, sir, so much. Listen, you heard Dell Weston online today. He's got action on films coming out very, very, very soon. Humble, strong, positive, comes from a background you want to listen to. We can talk to him for hours and hours and hours. That's pretty darn obvious. But we're going to let him go now. Dell Weston, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you, guys. God bless you, and have yourself a great day. We're looking forward to the 10th annual Action on Films. And everybody, watch them also on Action on Films on, uh, that was your TV show, Del Weston on yeah, Film. Yeah, Del Weston on it's Film. It's playing yeah. on Time Warner Cable, right? Time Warner Cable, Champion Broadband, and Peg Media across the country. And you can watch full-on episodes at Vimeo.com. Del, it's awesome. been We're gonna watch a pleasure. Tonight. It's been such hey, a guys, pleasure. Hey, guys, and I want to invite you both to my show. I'd like to have you both on because we'll have a great time. I'll have to take care of it. We would, we would love to, and I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to walk up right away and introduce myself. I'll be the one wearing socks. I'll even have a pair for you to try out. Now, that's something I'd like to see. I've never hey. seen those before. There you go. You want to see Charles with socks on. What a concept. All right, guys, thank you both very much. Have a great right, weekend, sir. and thanks for a great thank show. Thank you very much. And thank, thank you, you very much. Have a great listening. day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, guys, we're going to take a short little break, and then we're going to close up, everybody. Thank you very much, Del Weston, for joining us today. What an amazing guest. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you again for listening to Cinema Files Radio today on Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific. We had the always fantastic Del Weston on today, Del Weston Action on Film. This year is the 10th anniversary of Action on Film. Sean Piccinino, Jeremy Dunn, Guy Grundy, Ricky Bird, Jason Sanders, we all had a great time showing the lackey last year. At Action on Film, it was a class act. They were classy people. It was a great event. And if you want to talk about finances, it was definitely worth the money. It was worth the time. It was worth the effort. He was worth the trouble or anything that it took to know the person. Because as you can tell, he's an incredibly, incredibly humble person. That's kind of hard to find in, in Hollywood today is incredibly humble people that want to help you. He's giving you advice on how to keep a positive attitude. 
while working in media, basically, because we really can't call it cinema anymore. We really can't call it film anymore. We really can't call it TV anymore. People watch TV on their iPads now, on their computer yeah. monitors. So that's not really a TV, technically. So it's just media. So to hear somebody be so positive about media is such an uplifting thing. I want you to remember this as you're listening to this person. But these are the things that you want to follow. These are the things that you want to listen to. Not the negative junk all the other people. That, that's anybody can tell you that. Anybody can tell you that making a movie is hard. Anybody can tell you that writing a movie is hard. Anybody can tell you putting a movie inside of a festival is hard. Very few people that host festivals will tell you that it's actually easy. That you have to get to know people. I want to tell you one thing, and this is something I was thinking about just the other night. And this is something I was thinking about when I was young. And I'm going to use a little bit of chicken language, so foul language a little bit. So when I was young, we would have a common thing that we'd say, which is, I'm not going to kiss anybody's ass. I'm going to go into Hollywood. I'm going to make a stink. Do you remember that, Charles, when you'd say that to yourself? I'm, going to kiss, I'm not going to kiss anybody's ass. Absolutely, yep. And, and the truth is, you're not going to kiss anybody's ass. You're going to be nice. That's it. You, it's not kissing ass when you're being nice to the person who's telling you to do something. Now, if they choose a different attitude, that's their problem. But I remember when I was younger, I would say things like, I'm not going to kiss anybody's ass to get farther in Hollywood. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to be me. Well, you should be nice. <laughs> if you want any advice, be nice. You know? And when nice. you go on a movie set or you work, yeah, be nice. And you work in production or if you work in location. I work in location for years and years. Thank you, David Hover, for getting me that job. Thank Matioko who got me that job in locations for Legend Locations when I was young. Uh, they got me that job without any, any experience whatsoever. I didn't know what I was doing in the first couple of days. David Hover just gave me a call, David K. Hover, and, uh, and got me a job. I had no idea what I was doing. There was no computer access to tell me what location I was doing it. So when I went there, the only thing I did was be nice. And I got more and more and more jobs. And I got to know more and more and more people. I didn't have to kiss anybody's ass because most people were scared. Most people were as equally afraid to meet each other as I was at that age. So we got along quite well. We had a great relationship. I grew up in, in the Hollywood uh, arena. I grew up around a lot, of, a lot of what you would consider stars uh, growing up in Burbank, Los Angeles, and all that stuff. Um, it didn't make a difference. The nicer ones were always nice and always made it. And the meaner ones never made it. So what I learned today from Dell is to have fun, enjoy yourself, be a good person, and surround yourself around good people. And thinking about his wife, his wife came out and, and, and contacted me about being on, on the uh, show uh, before she knew anything, really, Teresa. And she was amazing. She was fantastic. She was my go-to girl. When I, when I wanted to reach uh, Dell when he was busy, she was always there. He surrounded himself around Good people, people he trusts, people he loves, and people who trust and love him as well. I say that's incredibly important. Charles, do you find that incredibly important in acting as well? Oh, it's a must. You know, it's a this entire business is a collaborative effort. You you have to have a team around you. Everybody says, "Oh, I'm going to do it on my own." On your own is a lot more busy a complement of people than you could possibly understand. You need to have that team around you, as Dell said, to support you in what you do. And once you understand that, that on your own means 
bringing your best to the table, but it is a table of others. Once you understand that and you begin to really immerse yourself in the collaborative process, you're going to go a long way. And again, it is having fun. You're doing what you love to do. You know, and that's you, you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And that is that is the truest of sentiments. Enjoy it. Go go out there and attack it and have fun doing it. This is this is your mark. This is your shot. So so you know, take advantage of it. We're we're running out of time, unfortunately. I, you know, it was funny, you know, I, I left the minutes open for if I wanted to close the show early or if I wanted to leave it going long. Uh, we were running out of time being a two hour show. So right now I want to spend a couple couple minutes talking to Charles because Charles Carpenter has a new book out, a sequel to his original book, and I'm going to let him speak about it. So Charles, you had your first book, The Necromancer's Pride, come out, and that was a huge hit, great book, excellent read. The first thing I did was I put it right on my iPad immediately and read it. A great imagination. And the best compliment I can give you is that I didn't think about you once when I read it. It was an independent <laughs> piece of art, you know, a lot of times people link the book to the artist. And I, I consider that a little bit of an insult, and I'll tell you why. I think books are really children created by you and are not really necessarily identified by the creator, but have a life of their own. Because writers are, we're humans. So people judge our writing by, based on our personalities. Our, our writing would suck. So you had your first book come out, Necromancer's Pride. You were, were you happy with, with how it came out? Were you happy with its its people buying it and, and its numbers and all that stuff? Uh, you know, I'm very happy. I'm very happy where it is, obviously, because uh, we, my writing partner, D.W. Jones, and I uh, self-published it. We, we are in charge of the marketing engine ourselves. So we're continuing to get the word out to get it, to get it spread. I think, it's a, I think it's a great story. I am absolutely thrilled with the, uh, the the copy editor we have, the illustrator that we have, PW is uh, one of my closest friends, uh, along with being a, an excellent writer uh, in his own right. And uh, so our partnership created something that I really, really am proud of. And uh, so the first book, Necromancer's Pride, Quest for Elderstone, came out uh, at the start of this year. And uh, just earlier this month, uh, we released Necromancer's Pride Tides of War, book two in the Necromancer's Pride saga. Uh, you can go to uh, necromancerspride.com and uh, check it out. And what we're doing is we're actually, today is the last day of a special two-for-one offer. If you buy uh, the Kindle version of Tides of War, you can download uh, the Kindle version of Quest for Elderstone for free. So it's a, it's a twofer so that you can get out there. And we really just want you to, to, to delve into the world. Um, you know, we, we love the site on the site. We commissioned the uh, illustrator to well, Charles, do a bunch Charles, of Charles, obviously everybody agreed with you that the, the first book was really, excuse me, was, everybody agreed with you, obviously, that the first book was really well done. Uh, the second book is called? Tides of War, Necromancer's Pride, Tides of War. Tides of War. And we can get it through Amazon today, and we can get a double pass. So we buy the first, the second book. We can get the first book as well. That's correct. If you buy if you buy Tides of War, uh, the Kindle version and uh, Kindle app on your iPad, uh, you can get uh, Necromancer's Pride: Quest for Elderstone, the first book for free. And that's uh, today until midnight. 
uh, you can do that. That's awesome. And so, you, so you continue the first story into the second story. How do you, how do you feel now that you've read the second book? How do you, how do you feel about the the storyline? I mean, you watch Game of Thrones and all that. So how do you feel mm-hmm. now writing the second book about the congruency, about the, about the storyline? How do you feel? It's got to be a great accomplishment. Other than that, though, as an artist reading it, how do you feel about your story? You know, I think that the biggest compliment that could be paid to us was done so by our beta readers. They said, you know what, Charles, we love the characters, we cheer for them, and there aren't any holes in the story. There, are, there aren't any places where we think, oh, wait a minute, what, what just happened? There, there, there's a gap there. So in kind of taking a step back and looking at the gestalt, the entirety of the, of the project thus far, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with the way it's progressing. We're going to, uh, there will be two more books in the series. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't be happier being able to, just like what Dell said earlier, do what you love, uh, you know, to be able to create this world, to see it uh, manifest into reality and, and, and become fully visualized and articulated is such a wonderful, it's such a wonderful high that I, I have, it almost hasn't really sunk in completely yet because, you know, we're now into writing the third book in the series. And, um, right. and I just, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just thrilled with the way it's, with the way it's progressing and developing. And Charles, I, I've heard literally 50 writers in my life tell me, I don't have anything to say. I don't think I'm interesting. If I write a book, what would I write it about? Just going on and on about the excuses of, of literature and, and writing. What would you say to those people that say, I don't have a voice. Who am I? I'm nobody. If I write that story, will anybody read it? What, what would you say to those people? Well, I would tell them nobody's going to read it at all if you don't write it. You know, so that's, that's a guarantee. The story isn't going to be out there if you don't take the time to do it. Um, ultimately, though, and this, I think this comes from the thick skin I've developed as an actor. You know, that's being, being my day job, and that is if, if you don't believe in yourself, then there is no reason for anybody else to. You know, there, you, so many people out there are going to be ready to try to shoot you uh, in the foot. Why are you going to give them the gun? You know, start out, if right. you, everybody has a voice because everybody has a unique perspective on life. And you may not, you may not know where it is, but it's there. It's there. Uh, people, will, people will be drawn to what you do if you approach it with a positive energy, with a sincerity. From the greatest sincerity comes the greatest achievement. A very wise man taught me that. And uh, I, I follow that. Uh, I, I follow that uh, that axiom uh, to no end. It, it, if you are sincere in what you do, then there will be success that will be manifest as a result of your actions. Now, it may not look the way you had envisioned it, but the success will come because the sincerity will create an environment wherein you will be able to bring forth other greatness. And it isn't, it's, it's, a, it's a humility. And I think that, that when you're sincere, you will, find, you will find that path. So for everybody who isn't sure if they can get on stage, isn't sure if they can get in front of the camera, isn't sure if they can put pen to paper, as it were, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Get out of your way. Get out of your own way. Charles, how can we find you? How can we find these books? 
How can we find you on Facebook? How can we find you on Twitter? How can we be connected to the great Charles Carpenter? Uh, well, you're so you're so kind. Uh, you can find me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Charles David Carr. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Necromancers Pride. Uh, you can find us uh, on, uh, on the web, necromancerspride.com. Um, go there, subscribe uh, to our blog. You'll get all sorts of really cool updates and, and uh, prizes that we'll give away, all sorts of different uh, giveaways that, that we do to try to engage the, the readers. We want our readers to be family. We want our readers to come and join us on this adventure and know that we are interactive, that we're constantly seeking to discourse with you. So you can join us there. Please uh, come check it out, necromancerspride.com. Uh, come aboard, join in the adventure, and it will grow uh, as we do. The world is constantly changing and organically uh, uh, taking a life of its own, and then that, that's what makes me the happiest. Uh, thank you guys for, uh, for being involved in the journey. It's, it's a beautiful thing, you guys. Create. Everybody get out there. Create. Make your magic. Make your art. The world is better for it. Thank you, Charles. We really appreciate that. And reach out. Buy the book. I, I've I've read both books. They're fantastic. Read them before they become movies, and you can be that guy in the theater that tells everybody the secrets that they want to know, like in Game of Thrones. I love this book. <laughs> Charles Carpenter is one of my favorite people in the entire world, and I don't say that lightly. Boys and girls, that was Charles Carpenter. Charles, you're a great co-host. We appreciate you being on the show today. We missed you last week during Father's Day, but I really wanted you to be with your family. God bless on that. Well, th- thank you, Steve. You are, you are the best of co-hosts as well. I'm excited for what we have to come. This show is just going to get bigger and better. It's a big shout-out here to uh, Sean Piccinino. Sean Piccinino, happy birthday yesterday. We really appreciate you being born. God bless you. Thank you for pushing so hard for the lackey. You really helped a lot of our careers. And thank you for being a good friend and a good student. Thank you for being a good husband and a good father. I think your wife, Jody, and your two children would agree. Remember, everybody, that you are special. That's something that we forget. But you're special, every one of you. When you wake up in the morning and look in that mirror and go, I am special because you are. You're an individual. You're going to do great things in this world. Don't listen to that negativity. There's less negativity out there. There is positivity. You just hear the more negativity because it's like that car you want to buy. Once you want to buy that car, you see it everywhere. If you want to see positivity, you will see it. So listen to Charles. Listen to Dell. Listen to these people who have been part of the business for many, many years. They know what they're talking about. They're able to have families children and happy wives and happy lives and still be successful in the field that they're interested in. Thank you everybody for listening to Cinephiles today. We had Dell, Action on Films Weston on today. A fantastic guest. Action on Films has its 10th annual festival this year. We're looking forward to being there and seeing it and seeing all the films with Charles Carpenter and Steve Pisan. Central Files Radio. You can find us on Central Files Radio on Facebook. Central Files on Twitter. You can find me at Steve Pisa at, at Facebook or Steve Pisa on Twitter, as well as Instagram. You can also find the Lackey Film, the Lackey Film on Facebook. Listen, everybody, have yourself a great Sunday. We appreciate you listening in. God bless. Have a great
way you can. Stay tuned, stay tuned for next week. We have Brian Barsukula and Sean Piccinino. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you to Lisa Pisa for producing this show. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend, everybody.